in Hillsborough, North Carolina, the center of the known world. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged In your trachea Goodness gracious bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight, Welcome to another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio, everyone. My name is Jeff Shaw. We are coming off the biggest and best iteration of Toro Cup yet. Toro Cup 6 was yesterday, grappling super fights at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu Academy and Cageside Fight Company in Durham, North Carolina. We are going to break that down for you in in the most complete form possible with Pedro Sauer Black Belt, David Porter, who was the victor on one of the best matches of the day against uh, against great grappling Black Belt, CJ Murdoch. We're going to talk with Dave about uh, his match. We're going to break down the entire card with him. He got to watch almost all of it. And we're going to tell you all about the biggest and best Toro Cup yet. But first, I got to tell you how to get a hold of the show. You can always email us at cagesidewhup at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram, on Twitter at DWB Radio, on Instagram at Dirty White Belt. You can also get at us using the hashtags Dirty White Belt Radio or DWB Radio. So first I got to tell you some news. And the before we get into, into Toro Cup in the essence, I must tell you what's happening next weekend. I know that everybody's still pretty excited in the afterglow of 22 Amazing Super Fights. But I got to tell you about uh, an exciting event next weekend. Dominica Oblanicha, the best in the world, is coming to town for two seminars at uh, Elevate MMA on Friday night, February 17th, and at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu Academy on Saturday, February 18th. The February 17th class is women only. The February 18th class is co-ed. You can register online at dirtywhitebelt.com slash shop or you can show up with cash or a credit card and we will get you in. Let me tell you a little bit about Dominica and why I'm so excited for this seminar. Dominica has won double gold at the Worlds. That means weight and absolute. She's won her weight class. She's won the open weight two years running in both 2015 and 2016. She hasn't lost in more than two years. Whenever you have the opportunity to learn from somebody that is the best in the world at their craft, particularly somebody who is also trained with one of the greatest of all time, came up under Marcelo Garcia, I believe that you should take that chance, especially if you see some of Dominica's most recent matches, including victories over names like Mackenzie Dern. Uh, you're going you're gonna to really enjoy this seminar. And so go to dirtywhitebelt.com slash shop and sign up or just show up either at Elevate MMA Women Only Seminar February 17th, 7 p.m. or at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu on Saturday morning, February 18th at 11 a.m. and train with the current best in the world right now. I couldn't be more excited for this and I promise you that you will enjoy it a lot if you come and uh, if you don't come that someone who does will sweep you or submit you with the things that Dominica shows. So please show up for that. I'm very excited about it. I also want to mention that we have a bonus show coming, if not this week, uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. At Toro Cup, we wanted to take advantage of the fact that so many community luminaries were in one space. And so Lourdes Cantu, uh, who many of you know from Chapel Hill Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, uh, now living and training uh, at Great Grappling, uh, did some roving reporter stuff where she, inter- where she and I went around and interviewed a bunch of folks that we've always wanted to sit down and talk with for the program but just hadn't had the opportunity to corral. And so some of those folks, like Jeremy Orell, who uh, uh, teaches at Great Grappling, have exciting new announcements to make. Some of those folks, uh, like Nico Ball, an MMA fighter, and someone who uh, supports the Terror A Kids Project, have really interesting stories to tell. Some of those folks were reacting to the matches. uh, And so we're going to put together a bonus show that weaves all of those individuals together. So Today's show is going to be a live breakdown and recap of Toro Cup, the event, including all the matches. But we're also going to have a bonus show that includes a bun- interviews with prominent local competitors, prominent local coaches, and folks that are just fans of local jiu-jitsu. So thanks to Lourdes for doing all those interviews. Thanks to everybody who stopped by the booth to say hi and get a free sticker, get a free flyer. Uh, we will. We are really grateful to everybody who stopped by and said hey to us, and especially grateful to Lourdes for doing the interviews and everybody who was able to be interviewed. 
finally, by way of segue, before we get into the meat of the discussion today, uh, I say that as a vegan, I, I suppose I should say like the Satan of the discussion today, I want to mention something about Toro Cup that is breaking news. And it's something that I'm really happy with, really proud of. And I know that James Boomer Hogaboom is also very proud of. Um, as it turns out, this is the sixth iteration of Toro Cup. And Toro Cup has raised in those six, uh, those six events almost $10,000 for various charities, various worthy causes, including yesterday's charity, Geese for GIs, which provides Brazilian jiu-jitsu gear free of charge to active duty military and veterans around the world, uh, the folks that are serving our country, uh, and, you know, such a great cause. We've, we've, we've raised money for animal shelters. We've raised money for the Terror Ray Kids Project, which you'll hear Nico Ball talk about in an upcoming episode. And next Toro Cup, May 13th, so please mark that on your calendars right now. Next Toro Cup, we are almost certain to crack the $10,000 barrier in terms of money raised for local charities. And so that's something like if you have competed at a Toro Cup, if you have volunteered to set stuff up, if you have refereed John Bagels, Helford, and Sean Zario, shout to you guys, um, David Hall, all the people that have shown up in the past, you have played a role in raising almost 10 grand for some of the most worthy causes around, and you should be very proud of that. I know I am. I'm really proud of the jiu-jitsu community for how we turned up uh, yesterday, and I couldn't have been more happy with the event itself, both what it represented and the good times that we had. So speaking of those good times, yesterday, as I mentioned, the biggest Toro Cup yet. Here's some numbers to throw at you. We had about 450 people, by my count, in, in and out the door. We had 22 matches, the biggest Toro Cup yet, including four black belt matches, including four women's matches, both of which were the biggest numbers that we've had of those in the past. You can see almost all of these matches on our Facebook page. We recorded, I think, 19 out of 22 and have posted most of those. So if you go to facebook.com slash Radio or search Dirty White Belt, you can see some of those matches. And one of those matches was a black belt match. One of the four black belt matches, one of the most exciting, was between C.J. Murdoch, prominent show guest, tremendous grappler, a great fixture on the local and national grappling scene, and my guest today, David Porter, Pedro Sauer Black Belt, and uh, and a winner at yesterday's Toro Cup. Dave, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Glad to be back. Our featured interview today is brought to you by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company, featuring the best geese, rash guards, shirts, fight shorts, and all other products for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Toro BJJ is the best company to support for your grappling needs. Additionally, Toro BJJ does a lot to support our local community as well, and it's important to support those who support us. You can check them out online at torobjj.com or in person at 124 Ladder Road in the location of Cage Side Fight Company and Triangle Jiu-Jitsu. Thanks to Toro BJJ for supporting this featured interview. So let's get right into it. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, let, let's get your match out of the way, because I figured that we can we can break that down, and then you and I can talk about all the rest of the rest of the card. Now, I know that this is something that was a lot of people were excited about. There was a ton of buzz about this match, because both you and CJ are elite competitors, and you had never grappled each other before, not even in training. Is that nope. right? That's absolutely correct. We, we've trained in the same building on at least three occasions that I can recall, and then also, you know, you figure we're U.S. grappling referees. We sometimes have uh, the opportunity to potentially even do nogi. I know um, CJ wasn't doing a lot of nogi for a while, but just never happened. Never crossed paths in that sense. But to give you an idea, CJ somebody in the community that I've looked up to for so many years. When I was a struggling up-and-coming blue belt with no real instructor above me, and I was in the military, I would go up to New Bern every so often and train at uh, Jerry Moreno's academy. And that's where I met Dan Sandlin and Matthew Mezzer and all those guys, Stevie Linton, shout out to him up in Philly, um, Jamie Pickett. I mean, killers were coming out of there. And here I am like, oh, yeah, I think I know uh, like some, some vocabulary to this jujitsu stuff. And they would, I mean, I would just get tooled up every time I went there and it was beautiful. But never had a chance to grapple with CJ and just watched his progression from, I think he was a purple belt then and then shortly thereafter got a brown belt. And by the time I was a purple belt, he was already a black belt. And just, you know, every U.S. grappling event came in contact with him. Just such respect from everybody who has ever talked a thing about CJ. They just love him. And you can see it on the mat. He loves jiu-jitsu. And what he did with the the Day Foundation and, you know, going to Brazil and just upping his game so much every day. I knew that eventually if we had the opportunity to grapple, it would just be incredible. 
And sure enough, I mean, it was. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the, the match definitely lived up to the anticipation from my perspective. And as you mentioned, you know, CJ has a ton of respect throughout the, the competitive scene. Like there's, you know, you and I both know a lot of guys that love jujitsu. Nobody loves jujitsu more than CJ Murdoch. Nope. No, <laughs> no. And nobody trains harder and, and nobody is more dedicated. And so and this is sort of what Toro Cup is for, right? When you have guys like yourself and CJ of whom that is true, but somehow they've never managed to, to face each other. This, these are the kind of matches that people want to see, the kind of matches that we want to set up to have the opportunity to have high-level practitioners put their skills on display. And so one thing I want to mention is, like, you, uh, uh, well, let, why don't you talk us through the match first, and then I have a couple of questions that are specific about your preparation. Sure. Since it's, it's, since it's important to discuss this, I think when I was getting ready for this, uh, you said we'll talk about the preparation later, but, I mean, I had a lot of emotion invested in this because I love CJ. And I love his game. And he is almost impossible to train for. But to that degree, I mean, if you think I'm a one-trick pony and you think, like, all I have is darts chokes and all you train is darts defense, like, I have some other options, too. And I'd like to say I've diversified my portfolio, right? I have a decent number of uh, other things at my sleeve. But that's the thing. We both have such crazy, crazy games. And you never know where it's going to end up. And I don't know anybody that can replicate what he does or anybody who's going to truly replicate what I do and therefore it's going to be crazy right we know that so going into the match I just had to kind of clear all the doubt in my head man this guy is so much more experienced he's got all these cool nifty tricks and plus he's going to have all this coaching there he's going to have his brother he's going to have Caitlin Huggins I mean his girlfriend is better than I am so it's like <laughs> man this is going to suck for Caitlin's me. better than a lot of people yeah <laughs> yeah it's like man he's going to have all this support and I'm going to be there with my 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 friends that are cheering me on but I I don't necessarily do well with coaching to begin with but it's just there's a lot of pressure and then just to the start of the match he immediately does this really slick foot trip right into the the meat and potatoes of taking the top game like taking advantage of position and I'm defending Arm locks and Kimuras at the cyclic rate. I mean, CJ was just going and going. And a few of them he did from distance. You know, he launched himself into this flying Kimura trap. Uh, I barely got out of it. The, every single submission I barely got out of. To the point where I can hear Jeremy from the side coaching CJ on one of the straight arm lock attempts from, any, from this uh, kind of like a pseudo mount where I had a foot trap, but CJ is really high up on my chest. And... I could feel my elbow starting to lock out and my hand is coming off at the top of his head and I had to make a move. And, you know, CJ at one point when he was going for another flying uh, Kimura, you know, he elbows me in the face and it's cool. You know, stuff like that happens. It's not MMA. He wasn't trying to do it. Mm -hmm. Stops for a split second. You know, I wipe off my nose. It's fine. Gives me a nice big kiss on the face, and he's like, keep going, brother. And, you know, it's it's all that's mutual respect, and we love each other, and it's cool. But then, you know, the match continues, and there was just this one little thing where he did a back step to clear one of my hooks. And when he did, I reached up with these gorilla-like arms of mine, grabbed the back of his belt, and I just tethered myself to him, uh, put in another hook, kicked out his feet, and ended up on the back. Uh, the back attack ensued with... A body triangle and I don't necessarily do the body triangle like a lot of people I don't leave it over the hips I like to hike it up over the ribs first off because I have a very long inseam so I might as well use the the length of my legs to my advantage but secondly because I feel like it hides my foot better from if they were to step over and take my body triangle to the wrong side and attack that foot lock so uh, I had a little bit of success with that at a US grappling event in black belt back in September too where I was in a body triangle and they fell to the other side and started trying a footlock, but it's not working because of the angle. So from there, um, there was some part of the match that I have to preface by saying prior to, and I want to kind of get into that when we talk about some of the other matches, but you know, CJ and I were in the cage leading up to the match and we're watching his brother, Josh roll. And he had an incredible match with Anthony Elbert. Well, one of the things that happened in that match, and I'm just going to briefly allude to it because it's important for this story, is that CJ was mentioning, hey, do this, Josh, do this, the thing we worked on. And it was this specific escape to a bow and arrow choke. And 
instead of just like lifting the elbow up and over the head and getting head to the mat and doing what I would consider a very orthodox approach, they were almost like rolling into the choke and then at the last second unwinding it. And it was very, very explosive and awesome at the same time. And I want to start practicing it. But I took mental note of what happened and exactly what CJ was saying. He's like, yeah, we always do this when they do that. So I'm like, oh, okay. Note made, filed in my little file cabinet in my head. Fast forward to the point in the match where I'm on the back and I can see CJ is starting to get away from me and he's about to do this thing he just described and I had just seen a few matches earlier. So I hunkered down and just kind of rode the wave and we ended up in this belly down position. And having trained under Master Sauer and having so much respect for the old school style of jiu-jitsu, I watched almost every single one of Hicks and Gracie, Master Hicks and Gracie's documented matches And he's very, very good at taking the back, using his hips to drive into his opponent's back, and it opens up the chest and neck and allows you to sink in your chokes. Well, the choke I had on CJ wasn't a good choke. It was not even 50% of a choke. He was doing the best job he could at keeping my grip high and almost like across his face. Mm. And in order for me to sink it, I knew I had to get his chin up. So when we... Fortunately for me, knowing that insider information of his approach to that uh, defense ended up in that belly down position, I saw that there was an opportunity. Okay, now I'll drive my hips, get his chin up, and get this clean submission. But unfortunately, CJ has this reoccurring rib injury that I didn't even know about. Um, Apparently, uh, some other people that are closer to CJ knew of it. Uh, I talked to his brother. I talked to some other people, and this is something that happens uh, and has been bothering him for quite some time. And I will say, it, it's it's incredible that he even took the match knowing like he has this reoccurring injury. Meanwhile, there I am with my injury, which we can get to later. But it wasn't the finish I wanted. His rib popped. And specifically, I don't think it was the rib itself. I think it was more like the cartilage in between. But for those of us that have been around long enough, we've all had this happen. It is unbearable. It messes with your breathing. It's... A very searing pain that just cripples the side of your body and to even see cj standing up after the match was just testament to his grit but you know he tapped because he was injured um it's not the victory i'd hope for uh if i was going to get any victory at all i would rather it's not due to something like that and i really don't count it in the books Mm -hmm. but i'm very appreciative of the fact that cj gave me the opportunity to even just step on the mats with him knowing I had just come off of an injury of my own, and he had every opportunity in the world to attack my injured arm. That was not a um, piece of information that I was hiding from the world at all. It's very well documented. I, I was hurt, chose not to drop the match. He took the match and never went after it. He is a complete gentleman and wanted to win cleanly as well. And that's why after the match, I got very, very emotional because this is a guy I've been looking up to for years. He's a hero of mine very well respected through the community and probably more respected by me than anybody else. And I hate to see it end like that, but man, all the way up until that point, just the transitions, the near submissions, the, the pace at which it was going, the, the contact involved. I think it was an amazing match. I just wish the, the ending was a little bit more clean, but otherwise, man, so much fun. Yeah, neither you nor CJ is the type to make excuses for anything. And, like, of course, nobody's 100% all the time. And it, so it was unfortunate. Uh, it was really, really, it was a real bummer that that, that happened. Uh, you know, I know that's not that, that's not something you wanted to happen. Obviously, the people that, that you know, the CJ's folks didn't want that to happen either. It was hard to watch. You, uh, you mentioned to me that you actually felt the rib give in the body triangle. Is that, I mean, and, and so in, in, answer, in talking about that, how tough it is is it generally to compete against a friend, somebody that you respect, and how tough is it when it's like, oh no, I have you know this injury has just happened. How how difficult is that during the match, and how difficult is it after? Man, where to begin? Uh, having grappled Sean Zorio twice, Bagels twice, Cody twice, you know, it's like I really love all these guys because we're all U.S. grappling refs. We're all fixtures within the community. We see each other all the time. We hang out all the time. I've gone out to dinner, had drinks. You know, we, we, like, we really like each other. At the end of the day, we all want to also showcase our talents. And 
it's no different than when you're in your academy and you're a friend to everybody in there and you have to roll and you want to win and you do these things. But we don't want to go to that level where there's an injury, right? Um, the worst thing in the world that has happened to me is in uh, three out of four of those cases that I was just describing, there were injuries involved where it's a combination of pressure of the technique with uh, a desire to you know push those limits, right? So you don't tap in time to certain things when your body is telling you otherwise, bad things will happen. Sometimes it's a freak of nature, right? You just turn the wrong way, things happen. I'm never happy that way though. I would much rather always have a clean submission, especially on a friend where we both get to walk away and just appreciate that we had a great role, right? That's awesome. Which is another reason why I prefer chokes. Mm -hmm. um, arm locks, leg locks, the problem with them, you know, it goes a little bit too far, now we have an injury. You get choked, you know, I, I think there's this stigma around waking up on the mats. Let me tell you, some of the best sleep I ever got was waking up on the mats. <laughs> and I put all of my losses online, and uh, I put all of my wins online too, but obviously to showcase that I'm not some guy who's always tooting his own horn, all my losses are online too. In fact, I even have a match that if anybody listening wants to go have some fun and poke at me, uh, it's called Power Napper. And it's me getting caught in a loop choke as a purple belt in a U.S. grappling event in 2013. And man, I woke up, best sleep of my life. But that's the beauty of being put in a choke. If you push yourself a little too far, you go to sleep and it's nap time. You get a little too far into a leg lock or an arm lock and bad things will happen. And Chrissy Lindsay will be the first one to tell you, you know, leg locks are these crazy things that people have either... Um, put a stigma on like, oh, there are these crazy things that'll just break your legs. But Kimuras are still the submission that ends up with the most injuries at a US grappling event because we think, oh, I've got a little bit more range to go. And next thing you know, it's like a bag of potato chips being crushed in a big man's hand. And you next you you feel like Noguera versus Frank Mir. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, very, very, I think those are very salient points. Um, speaking of Kimuras, so CJ, as you mentioned, had several like leaping Kimura attacks on you. And I was... I, you know, I, you know, sweating. You, I, I was, I, I was like, because, you know, I, like you don't know when you're not out there feeling it yourself and you don't know what's going through the grappler's head. You can just see, wow, that looks really tight. It looks really close. How close was that Kimura attack? How much danger did you feel like you were in? Every single Kimura, every single straight arm lock, anytime his hand touched my wrist, he was in 95% position for a finish. I play a very dangerous game too where I'm super relaxed and I kind of wait almost to the last second and it gets a lot of flack from people because my game is very, very open. Now, I thrive in those dangerous positions because I have gone down deep enough to shake the devil's hand and get the hell out. I don't go down and give him a big bear hug, right? It's knowing your knowing your The devil the devil it. has a good bear hug defense, I'm sure. Yeah, like he's, well, he's a jerk. But anyway, moving on, it's one of these things that Master Sauer is always preaching. You know, if you're that person that always sticks to your game plan and that's all you do because it works and it's, you know, um, sweep to the sweep to the cross pass, to the neon belly, to the cross choke, and you can hit it on everybody and you've never stepped away from that path. You're giving up a lot of great jujitsu out there. Now, what happens that one time it doesn't work? You know, this is where it gets crazy because you've developed such a fine-tuned thing that you can do it on so many people, but the one time you can't, you're just a sitting duck. Mm -hmm. So he preaches a lot of, okay, positional sparring from bad positions. We're starting with people on your back or we're starting on the bottom of neon belly or we're starting on the bottom of mount. Get out. And we'll do that for entire hour and a half long classes. So we developed this really good danger sense of things and it's helped me in lots of my matches. And if it seems like I'm not present or I'm kind of gaffing off the match, it's not that at all. It's just my style of doing things. And it has worked for me on multiple occasions. With regards to this match, I had done a lot of prep for EBI-style overtimes because I was just involved in two separate matches um, or uh, events, the BJJ Kumite in Houston, and then the finishers by Show the Art, and they have those EBI-style rules. So my back defense and my back attacks for those overtime, uh, overtime rules has really been a focus for the last couple of months. So... If you've never seen me doing many back attacks and things like that, it's because it wasn't one of those 
focuses of my game until very, very recently. And it just happened to pay off in this one example, although not in the way I'd, I had hoped. Makes sense. So I have one more question about your match with CJ, and uh, and then we can move on to discussing the rest of the card, which featured some really exceptional jujitsu. Incredible. Uh, yeah, just terrific. And so you mentioned earlier, CJ is impossible to prepare for. And I'm curious, like, I have an idea of what I think you mean by that, but I would like to, for you to explain why you think CJ Murdoch is such a hard opponent to prepare for. You never know which CJ you're going to get, whether he's the guy that wants to stand and trip and do some kind of, um, you know, set champ, wrist lock, spin under, duck under thing, or uh, play with the lapel a lot, or maybe not even touch the gi material and just grab your arms and your neck. Sometimes he wants to play feet. Sometimes he wants to play something. I mean, it, it's always flavor of the week for him. He has so many things up his sleeve, and he'll play one specific thing today and next week. You know, I never want to grapple CJ again. But uh, if I were to grapple him tomorrow, it'd be something different. And I could get 365 days of different things from CJ. And then guess what? Next year, I'll get 365 different things from him again. So it's hard to grapple somebody like that. Whereas I know when I was preparing for my matches with other people, you know, if they have enough content out there for you to study, that's what they do. And you prep for it and you go off of that. This is another reason why I think it's hard to grapple against um, myself because it's leg locks last week, the week before that it's bravos and darts chokes, the week before that it's arm locks, and I'm pretty all over the place too. And I don't necessarily thought anybody who was taking bets on anything would say uh, I would win off of a body triangle from the back. Mm -hmm. Nobody was thinking that. No, for sure. And that's, I think, one of the reasons that people wanted to see that match. And there were a bunch of other matches on the card that were highly anticipated. Uh, so maybe we can transition to talking about some of those. Please. And I would like to ask you, I have an answer to this question, but I would uh -huh. like to know your answer, which is, what was your, you got to watch almost every match in its entirety. There were two matches that you got to see in part because you were, you know, before and after your own match. But like of the matches you got to see, what was your favorite match of the day? What do you think was the best match? So I know where my favorite finishes were, and I'll talk about that later. But my favorite match from beginning to end was Josh Murdoch and Anthony Elbert. Uh, Josh and Anthony are so close in terms of their ability to catch each other at any given time. And their skill levels are very comparable. We both know that they have their advantages in different areas. I know Anthony's triangle is just sick nasty. I mean, he'll throw it from five feet away and make it happen like a like a laser guided missile and then you know josh he will just catch you I, I, I mean you don't want to get close to josh you always want to be framing against him and making as much space as humanly possible because he thrives in those micro adjustments and he he just i don't even know how to explain it it's almost like uh, like a bacteria crawling on your skin that's josh's game He's so in tune with these little movements right up in there in the, in the nitty gritty. And so because they are so good and they have such crazy skill that's comparable but different mm -hmm. in such crazy ways, you can't wait to see when they grapple. And every time I've seen them in, in the same division, it's just like, oh, okay, who's going to get it today? Well, yesterday, I mean, beginning to end, it was just tons of movement. It was that quintessential cartoon cloud of claws and dirt and you know different symbols flying out of it and you're just waiting for the dust to settle and anthony got very very uh very very fortunate uh with position at one point ended up on top and got uh josh's elbow and josh has kind of like a like a trick elbow apparently and so that's what sealed the deal now i don't know how much wiggle room was in it because i'm not there to feel it but it looked, it looked tight, pretty much on from the get go, mm -hmm. and I didn't see, I didn't see Josh try to, um, you know, muscle through it or just like deal with it. I, I think he knew his limitations and just said, "Nope, great match, mm -hmm. right? Suck it up, stand up, big smile on his face, happy for the ability to get in there with somebody who's going to bring it to him and make him grow." Mm -hmm. and for that reason alone, because those guys were just go, 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 and they were so evenly matched, it was an awesome match. Now, some of the other matches that I liked that had great finishes, 
might not have been so evenly matched. So that's why that one specifically to me is why I think it was like one of the matches of the day. Yes, and I definitely want to hear your thoughts on best finishes, which we can get to later in the show. But um, to talk about this match, anybody who's listened to the show lately or, or seen the blog knows that the match you just talked about was the one I was most excited about because both of those guys are incredible to watch. Both of their games have just exploded over the last year. And Anthony's one of the, you know, both of those guys are incredibly nice guys, but I'm just so happy for Anthony and his recent success. You know, coming off the win, the IBJJF, his first IBJJF gold medal at the Atlanta Open, not his last, uh, I suspect. I, I would bet money, not his last. And just to watch those guys go at it. Um, and, you know, Josh, and to watch. You know, my only regret about that match is that it wasn't longer. And, you know, obviously, you <laughs> as know, a fan. Right, exactly. Yeah. I wanted to see more of that. And Josh is one of those guys. I talked with Jeremy Rell before that about how Josh gets stronger as the match goes on. So, you know, when he gets into deep water is where he really shines. You know, jo- Josh talked to me after the match and was like, man, I felt great right up until the armbar. I was like, yeah, I know you looked, <laughs> you looked great. And so, and, and, and so, you know, getting to talk to both of those guys after, you know, really, really, a really terrific match. And what's interesting is, as you know, you mentioned Anthony. Um, Anthony was sitting next to me as we were watching my favorite match of the day, and we were both going, "Wow, this is bananas!" And my favorite match of the day was actually a nogi match between Greg Walker from Gustavo Machado and uh, Nakapon, Nakapon Pungpon. Uh, we're just going to call him Nakapon because uh, he should have one name like Prince. And that was the main event of the day. And wow, did that match deliver! It, it was one of those matches where. I was pretty shocked that it got put together on short notice. So kudos to Greg for stepping up on what I think was like forty-eight hours or something. forty-eight hours, two days. Yeah, right. And 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 you know, Greg, Greg's Greg's a warrior in every sense of the word. And so Greg is never going to shy away from a challenge. But like the moment that match was made, I was like, that match is going to be bonkers. And boy, was it! Uh, Greg exhibited incredible an incredible takedown game and top control. Both of those guys have terrific foot sweeps. Greg obviously has outstanding wrestling. For most of the submission only round, and so for those of you who aren't, most people who listen to the show are familiar with Toro Cup rules. If you're not, we start with the submission only round where, it, you know, there are no points. You either tap or you don't. If you get through the timed submission only round, then they go to a five-minute points round. Then if you get through the five-minute points round, then you uh, then we go to first to score. Without any advantages, it has to be points. And so for most of the first, for the sub-only round, featured Greg on top, working to pass, working, you know, and Nakabon exhibiting incredible guard retention that, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know how he was able to recover his guard from some of those spots, but well, I guess he's Nakabon. And, uh, and Greg, Greg working to pass and Nakabon hunting submissions from the bottom. And for the most part, that was how the story of the, fir- of the first match and just really terrific skill and technique from both guys really terrific pace from both guys because there was constant attacking constant pressure from greg constant attacks from nakabon no finish ends up happening and this is what's what's glorious to me so it gets to the five minute points match and uh the there's the and it's a it's a tie score and you know nil nil nakabon is a pulling guard greg on top working to pass gets to be about a minute left and all the Beta Academy folks, and shout out to the Beta Academy folks who went who went three and zero. We'll talk about them in a second. You know, telling Nakabon, man, you got to go. You got a minute left. You got a minute left. Got got to make something happen. And Nakabon goes for a sweep series, which exposes Greg's back. And instead of choosing to attack the back to get the points, Nakabon ends up going for a finish and securing it with about twenty seconds to go. And it was bonkers. Just incredible skill and technique, incredible action, nonstop excitement the whole time. You can see this match in its entirety on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Radio. And after the match, I had to talk to, I had to ask one of the competitors, so like kudos to both guys, first of all. Like both guys showed up in a big way. Both guys performed exceptionally well. It's one of those matches where there was a winner, but nobody lost. And uh, so I got to talk to Nakapon about it, and here's what he had to say. Yeah. So Nakabon, that was a crazy match. Greg Walker had such good top pressure, and you guys were back and forth. Could you talk me through the finish, what you were thinking, and what wound up happening? Yeah, I mean, uh, first, hats off to Greg Walker for taking the match to the last moment. And, man, he is tough. He's been competing a lot. I've been watching him on video, so I knew he was going to be a, a formidable opponent. He's good at wrestling. You know, unfortunately, we got into the, into the time period, which is definitely is a strong suit. And uh, so, you know, I mean, it was it, it, it's... As we get down to the last two minutes, like I was, I thought I was losing. You know, he was definitely holding me down in the in the guard. So all of a sudden, I like I threw my hips up. Uh, I've been training a lot of uh, 
uh, triangle from the back, you know, like try, uh, head and arm positions uh, because you're doing a lot of EBI rules. So a lot of times you start from the back is a good place to get to. And some, somehow, like muscle memory, my leg got over his shoulder and it ended up in the position. And, man, we were 30 seconds left. I underhooked his leg, and I just had to go for it. And, you know, I was uh, fortunate enough to get the tap. It was interesting because you were in the points round, and when you got when you had that access to his back, I thought you were going to try to take the back to get the points, but you just ended up going straight for the submission. Was that a conscious thought process strategically, or just take what you thought was there? Well, yeah, I mean, I took what I thought was there. Also, wanted to take it back to jiu-jitsu, which is we're trying to end the match, you know. And so, like, been doing these other formats. You know, good thing got U.S. Grappling do these submission only tournaments, and you know, Toro Cup to put these awesome formats on. And uh, you know, going to the submission only like brought me back to, to doing like uh, uh, old school jiu-jitsu. So I was like, all right, how do we put an end to this situation? And you know somehow we got there mm-hmm. so you got to be pleased with you had two other beta academy folks compete lori a winter match on points isaac wins his match um, as an academy you guys did really well today i mean we we really love to you know we love we love jiu-jitsu we love training we love martial arts you know we do a lot of muay thai too all kinds of martial arts and you know we're lucky enough in dc you got a lot of people who are uh, who are really dedicated to the art and they want to train a lot and they happen to be there a lot of times and and they're my training partners so you know this is this is a, a very happy moment for us and you know we're not going to stop here we're going to work harder and next time you put on another event we'd love to be here and support it and uh, you know do our best Congratulations, Nock. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, you could hear the excitement in Nakapon's voice there. And, like, that's sort of the, the, the high. He's a positive person anyway, but that's sort of the high you get about, like, wow, we just had a good day for a variety of reasons. And that was my favorite match of the day. I, I understand you got the opportunity to watch it as well. And you know Nakapon was smiling the whole time. <laughs> yes, indeed. But what's better than doing jiu-jitsu, right? Like, what's better than doing jiu-jitsu? Nothing. So you mentioned that you had some favorite, in addition to a favorite match, you had some favorite finishes. Yes. And I would like for you to run down some of the the finishes that most stuck with you after yesterday. So first off, I got to talk about Andrew Bittner from Gracie Raleigh. Uh, At the last Toro Cup, he had an incredible match against another winner from yesterday uh, in the form of Josh Williams. Now, Josh Williams just won his... I think fourth Torah Cup victory. I think it's which, his fifth, actually. Fifth, which also secured him this really nice honor of being the Torah Cup Nogi World Champion. So, uh, for, first, before I even begin, holler to Josh Williams for that. Awesome work. Um, but Andrew Bittner in that match with Josh Williams displayed a lot of different holes in his game. And although he's got some incredible talent down by him, he still um, hit me up for some you know, constructive criticism and feedback because Andrew is one of those guys that is in love with jujitsu and has no problem getting a second, third, fourth, fifth opinion. And I'm, I don't even know how far down that list. So I know he didn't come directly to me, but he did end up hitting me up and saying, Hey, watch this match. Tell me what you think. I gave him some feedback. He got that and all the feedback from his instructors and a few other sources. And just to watch him come in, and shout out to Miles Bell for taking the match on short notice against a much larger opponent. But regardless of the size disparity and whatever skill gap on the leg locks, watching Andrew Bittner clean up these holes on his game and becoming so much tighter in the execution of his heel hook on the outside was just beautiful to watch. So, you know, it was, I, I believe, the fastest submission of the day. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I didn't have... Any any doubt that Andrew would eventually get a hold of a leg and secure it if that's what happened, but it was m- it was more the analytical way of how he got it that I was watching the fine tuning adjustments of how he was controlling the knee line and pulling himself in incredible finish. I'm glad I'm glad that you mentioned that. And one of the things that makes Bittner so good is that he is the best kind of self critical. Not get down on yourself self critical, but like a hey, I was successful, but there were these things I could have done better, and. You know, to 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 shout out to a different another match that was neck and neck with me for the best match of the day was Josh Williams against Bobby Gurley, which was a bonkers match. And Bittner had a match, as you mentioned, with with Josh at an earlier Toro Cup. Bittner also had a recent match with Bobby at Pro Jitsu. And like all of those guys are so good, particularly Nogi. And the Josh and Bobby match was was bonkers, incredibly entertaining to watch. Um, you know, back and forth battle between two titans. Both guys were exhausted after, which was rad. And that sets up a rematch between Josh and Andrew, <laughs> yeah. which I am really enthusiastic about for the next Toro Cup. I'm stoked too, especially if Andrew can continue on this path of cleaning up some of these holes. It's going to be a way more competitive match between him and Josh a second time around. Now, 
uh, Jason Wingate Bumpkin. Mm. You know, he had an incredible match with Daughtry. And yeah. um, Bittner's coach, by the way. You know, Jason Bumpkin Wingate, uh, one of the Gracie Raleigh coaches of Andrew Bittner and yeah. uh, longtime gra- grappling mainstay and former guest on the show. Yep, another hero of mine. I've been watching him since December 10th, 2013, uh, 2010, sorry, when I went to my very first U.S. grappling event. And it was when they used to have the Grapple Manias, and it was in North Carolina, obviously. Um, and I went to this event as a blue belt, and they had a brown belt super fight at a U.S. Grappling, and Jason Wingate was there, and I watched him, and I was like, I want to be like you when I grow up. <laughs> and it's been like that for like the last six years, and you know, it's just weird to, you know, have this idol worship, and now I'm among this group of people, and. They're all like talking to me about stuff, and I'm like, man, I I just work here, bro. But watching watching Bumpkin come out, and he's just so so poised, his calm demeanor, everything about it, and the precision of his technique on that triangle, and catching that angle, and underhooking the leg, and then coming to the other side leg, and it almost hits the wall. And you know, Sean Zuri on bagels are really good about keeping guys off the wall, and then Bumpkin's like, ah, forget that, I'll just take him over this way and do like the mounted version and then fall to the side. His ability to, his ability to stay tight in that technique and finish that triangle was definitely one of my favorite finishes. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And just kudos to him. Like I said, poised, professional, and just super technical. Yeah, just beautiful technique to watch. Uh, it, do you have another finish that you want to talk about or, or should we move on to my, my next question for you? Oh, I've got one more finish. So... You know, obviously, I said Anthony Elbert and Josh was my favorite match. Bindra, uh, Bittner and Bumpkin had some great finishes. I have a third finish that was just one of the weirder finishes, but was my favorite. Was one of my top three favorite finishes. Dewan Owens. What do you call that? Like in the gi, you know, we have short chokes, right? Mm-hmm. So we we talk about short chokes all the time. No gi, it, it's like he had a head and an arm. And it wasn't quite like a bulldog choke from the front where you sit out, but it kind of was, and he was behind. And it's mm-hmm. like Ryan was he, he didn't he didn't necessarily look like he was in a bad spot. You know, no. he's kind of sitting back, reclined, he's his arms are in, he's defending. And Dewan just did some crazy magic and drove his shoulder in, and next thing you know, there's a tap, and you're like, Okay, I think I'm gonna have to go to the replay on that. But man, Dewan, that was just that was just sick. So. Yeah, no, as you mentioned, Ryan LaFree, another another guy who took the match on short notice. So kudos to Ryan for that. But like the Ryan Ryan probably knew this already, but quickly learned there is no safe spot in a grappling match with Joano and Snogi. No kidding. Like, the, you, you you can feel like, hey, I'm safe here. Whoops, whoa, the situation changed quickly. And so you know, I, I always love watching Dewan compete, whether that's in um in, in grappling, gi or no gi, uh, do the gi more Dewan, or kickboxing, where Dewan <laughs> is going to... Yeah, right, exactly. And and to, to because we're on the topic of Dewan, I also want to mention Dewan is competing February 25th in kickboxing at the Lightning Strikes Kickboxing pro- boxing Promotion at the Durham Armory. And the very next day, February 26th, he is back on the grind at Elevate MMA at an open mat benefit for Fighting for Uganda, his charity project where he does self-defense and you know an effort against gender-based violence in, in Uganda. So, so shout to Dewan for that. And I will say this on the topic of Dewan as well and Toro Cup. So the prize for winning Toro Cup 6 were these really amazing um, embroidered belts that had, you know, Toro Cup 6 winner and they were given out to any of the winners. And the first thing that came into my mind when Dewan won was, awesome, he's got a belt now. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, Dewan. <laughs> Here's a belt. You know, yeah. it goes to something else. Right. We'll get you a gi, man. Yeah, we'll they get you a gi. Yeah, they didn't give him a plate like they gave Josh uh, Josh Williams for well, his match. Apparently, though. he needs to eat more or something. I don't yeah, know. Right. But, no, absolutely. You know. They should have like. And also, I joked at the event. So the the prize for the Nogi World Championship, the Josh Williams match against Bobby Gurley, was this st- this stainless steel, st- the sterling silver plate. And I joked about, man, they should put some cookies from Yellow Bear Bakery on that as part of the prize. And and I'm I'm kind of serious about that. One hundred percent. Yeah. No. I mean, if I if I ever compete on Toro Cup, I don't even care if it's for a championship I well jeff I knowing cookies. what we did after after the match for me personally you know i'm all about those yellow bear cookies so <laughs> yellow yeah. bear breakery cookies bring them on yeah this man can put down a lot of food you know his jujitsu is okay uh his his food eating though yeah i'm a competitive eater that has a jujitsu problem so uh we could talk about that later but well i anyway. was well i was deeply impressed with your eating performance last night but speaking of 
impressive performances. So yes. we've we've talked about a bunch of them, but I would like you like I have three performance imp- people I was impressed by three impressive performances in mind that we haven't talked about. And so I'm wondering if there's someone that we haven't talked about that you were especially impressed by yesterday in their grappling performance. So Chelsea Kurtzman uh, took on the incredibly game Lori Porsche, and I've seen Lori beat some tough, tough people. Mm. And Lori's pace is ridiculous. And even if you somehow beat Lori, you still kind of lose, mm-hmm. right? Because you're going to go home and like hate your pillow and hate your bed because everything hurts in your body because <laughs> she's just going to work you. And I think that's synonymous with like anybody who grapples Isaac Renner or anybody who grapples anybody from beta because Nakapon it has that way of making what he does trickle down into all of his troops, right? So Lori's no different. And, you know, I think going into it, this is one of those things where my head had to beat my heart and it's like, I love Chelsea and I love uh, Andrew Foster. And, you know, you look at who they're grappling and it's John, it's uh, Lori Porsche and John Shell respectively. And they're just so much more uh, um, senior in terms of their, their exposure to the game and the level at which they do it. But man, did Chelsea bring it. Mm-hmm. And there were some incredible times in that where I'm just thinking, oh no, this is the end. This is the end. And she got out and she's moving. And I know she had to go, uh, she had to move. Mm-hmm. And now she's working with great grappling. And, you know, Jeremy's there and he's an incredible coach. And she just takes direction so well. And I think in terms of performance, it's easy to look at somebody who's winning and go, oh yeah, that person did great. No. I think in terms of performance, the person who definitely inspired me the most throughout the day was Chelsea Kurtzman because holy hell, did she just like move very, very proficiently. She had the danger sense. She knew when to get out. She had some great transitions and that that match went all the way through to the mm-hmm. overtime and yeah, great match. Yeah, I not think, enough respect for it. No, I think that's a very astute point. Like sometimes when we, we, you know, it's easy to look at who gets the W, but then when you look at someone that, like Lori, is a seasoned competitor who has big wins against talented people and is incredibly physical competitor and keeps a pace that is so tough. And Chelsea was right there with her, so I was, I agree, super impressive performance by Chelsea Kurtzman. Um, let's let's go back and forth. Where I'll I'll, I'll name something I was impressed by, and then, then we can we can return to let's you for it. a different person. So I wanted to I wanted to shout out Jay Yovan. Oh, yeah. And like I, I think Jay, you know, the people that know, you know, Jay's had some Toro Cup matches and performed really well. And those of us that train, uh, you know, I haven't trained with Jay in a while, unfortunately, but like very technical, very good people identify him as a guard player, but really, really tough on top as well. And like one thing that I, I will note is that we, one of the things I respect a lot about Jay is that he takes preparation very seriously. And, you know, and and so I know how hard he trained for this. I know the type of, of, you know, and, you know, he did this for his first Toro Cup match against Travis Wheeler, where he also put on an exceptional performance where he's like, all right, I'm going to set aside. I'm going to prioritize this. I'm going to put aside craft beer for a while, which anyone that knows Jay knows what a sacrifice that is. And God help you if you're standing between Jay and like a barrel aged thing of anything. But but Jay just put on a, a, a spectacular performance against someone if you want to talk about a physically imposing specimen, Chad Stevens from Section 8 MMA. No kidding. That dude was strong, like very strong, very physically imposing. And Jay just did his jujitsu, got on top, wound up working them out, did what we call cooking him a lot where it's like, all right, I'm going to maintain my position and I'm going to maintain and, and stay on top until he was able to secure a really slick Ezekiel choke uh, for a finish. And like, so I was, I was Ezekiel's super- are so hot right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. I feel like we should have like a techno backbeat for that. But, but, uh, but yeah, so terrific performance by Jay. It's always nice to see, you know, in jujitsu and in life, unfortunately putting in the hard work and doing all the right things does not always generate you the right result. And that sucks. It sucks to see somebody mm-hmm. train, train their butt off and like, not but it's really rewarding when you're like all right when you see somebody train really hard do the right things work their technique and and get the result they wanted so i was really i was really happy to see jay Ivanovich from pedagrass academy perform so well piggybacking on that hey jay Ivanovich, you know that ezekiel doesn't count unless you do it from the bottom of mount <laughs> all the yeah all the white belts that are listening that saw that ufc fight with the nogi ezekiel from the bottom of mount or, yeah if you're a fan of the ufka you know like you got to do it from the bottom of Mount. Yeah, right. Next, next Toro Cup. So we'll don't get, worry, Jay. We'll teach you how to really do it. It's yeah, cool. you have to do it on Toro Cup Seven, or else, or else, or else, you don't get a mention. No, awesome work. <laughs> so what? So any other performances that stood out to you as impressive? 
Yeah, I, I, did, I definitely said it before. Uh, Andrew Foster and John Shell. I think, if anything, people would be <laughs> in the camp of, oh, Andrew Foster is going to catch a very quick Dars and win, or John Shell is going to grind him out and beat him in the deep water. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because, you know, Andrew was setting up some really, really nice attacks. And I've worked with Andrew so many times, and I know how he has these incredible setups, and he just doesn't have many opportunities to showcase them because he doesn't compete that often. Whereas John Shell, as we mentioned when we were talking about Lori and, and Chelsea before, you know, very, very seasoned, has been out, and literally just had an MMA fight like a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And guy comes in, black eye, <laughs> you know, he's training hard every day. And he comes in and just like, man, talk about Darcing the Darster. Mm-hmm. He caught a very, very clean Darce on Andrew Foster. Now, I'm not going to sit here and play like armchair warrior and qu- quarterback from the sidelines and say, oh, you could have done this differently. Man, it was just very, very good. I, I don't have enough to say about John Shell's ability to recognize threats, move away from them respect Andrew Foster's game and then see his opening to counter and catch the Dars on Andrew. That was really impressive. I mean, watching that was just testament to John Shell's veteran status. Mm-hmm. Weather the storm, come back, counter strike. Mm-hmm. Beautiful performance. Yeah, a terrific match. And I was, I, and you know, you mentioned that you have a more diverse game than people give you credit for, which I think is true. But also, people should listen to your opinions on the Darst joke. And <laughs> and, uh, and if you, and we mentioned this a couple times also, but like uh, Dave has a new DVD out on the Darst joke, bringing back the Bravo. You can get it through the Lanky Fight Gear website, which I believe is lankyfg.com. Correct. And uh, and so I, I just got it. I am super stoked to check it out um, because I have these little T Rex arms, and Dave assures me. That even with my stubby little vegan arms, I will be able to darse people, and uh, and you know to bring, to take it back so we can take it forward. Like I did, I was really impressed with with John's darse as well. Uh, and from my less educated perspective, definitely looked slick. And like I was actually, I was really impressed with Andrew as well. Like yeah. Andrew did as you mount some some quite good attacks. But John is a relentless competitor. Yeah. And so yeah. Now because Andrew does know the mechanic very well. He also knows when it's a good catch. Mm. So when I saw John Shell wrist deep on the locking side of the mechanic, I I once again had to get worried. It's it's one of those things where when we were trying to pick who we thought was going to win every match, and I'm going down the list, and I had to go with my heart over my head, and I'm like, man, come on, Andrew Foster. And you don't want to root against John Shell because he's my buddy too. No, man. But you just know John has a, a, a pretty decent advantage going into that based on the experience and exposure. So, And those are some of my favorite matches to watch yeah. too. It's difficult for me to watch my friends compete sometimes because I get nervous for them, particularly when there's injuries involved. But th- that is the type of match between friends that I really like where there's obvious mutual respect, where both the guys are going to come hard and give you whatever they have. And whatever happens, they're gonna, there's going to be respect afterward. And so the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on is incredible. Mm-hmm. So following the match with Andrew Foster and John Shell, they both came back up into the uh, into the cage and they were sharing mechanics. Ah, uh, that's awesome. Right after the match. I mean, they're both still sopping wet from their match. And there they are two minutes later. And John was the one who got his hand raised and Andrew's helping him with some little catch detail. And like... Then John's showing him some detail. And that's the beauty of it. It's what it's all about. There's no man. animosity. It's what it's all about. So I have one other performance, uh, and maybe one more if we have time, that I wanted to shout out. And another guy that, that took the, that took a match on very short notice was Kenneth Brown. Now, against Chico Santiago, who's a huge, huge American. And uh, just, just a, a very physically imposing individual. And so a lot of people know Kenneth Brown from his, his instructional videos on the internet, which are quite good. Um, I also got the chance to see him compete and watch his matches and ref his matches at, at U.S. Grappling. And so I'd sort of seen his game, like, in addition to having seen him online, I, I'd had the opportunity to see him work his game in person. And the game, the, the, the adjective that I'm looking for is just smooth. Like, Kenneth Brown's jiu-jitsu is smooth. And even though he's a very large person himself, like, he's not using force. He's not forcing stuff. He's making incredible transitions. Ends up just like, and, and you know, when I saw, you know, the physical difference between him and Chico, like Kenneth Brown is not a small man, but Chico is, I mean, looks like. Filled out. Yeah. Oh, man. He's eating like, his Wheaties. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so, and yet Kenneth Brown's really slick, smooth jujitsu, particularly from half guard, ended up 
like he had an answer for everything and he and for that to happen a against an opponent that he didn't know he was competing against 48 hours before and b to be able to implement that against an opponent who was physically dominant was incredibly impressive and kenneth brown never looked in danger during the match looked like he was falling asleep looked like exactly looked he like, always does that yeah and 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 i mean and that's what i love is like the sort of cerebral aspect of uh, jujitsu is a series of questions and answers where like here I'm by trying to pass your guard. I'm asking this question. Okay, I have an answer. Here's me going to my half guard. Here's me sweeping, getting on top, ending up taking the back and finishing. And I was so I knew that Kenneth Brown was really was was an excellent practitioner just from observing him. But this match, I think, really answered the question: like, why is he so good? Which is he is a step or two ahead of all the people on the card. You know, you have 40, 44 competitors on the card. I can identify with Kenneth Brown's approach to jiu-jitsu more than anybody else. And having uh, gone to one of his seminars a few years ago, having grappled him at Pure Performance in Maryland a few years ago, and then ultimately having a match with him this past October as a black belt, which was very eye-opening for me to compete against somebody who's just as relaxed and comfortable in these very bad positions and then is always thinking and, you know, he got the win in that match against me. And, I, yeah, I know I'm not a heavyweight, but I identify as one with my stomach. But, you know, Kenneth Brown really is a technician. And I have had a match with Chico at a U.S. grappling. And it was a 15-minute war where I came out of it feeling like I was in a car wreck, which I was four days prior to the match. <laughs> and uh, it was just like the second car wreck. Man, uh, Chico is Which tough. car was bigger? <laughs> uh, I think Chico was bigger than the uh, Toyota that hit me four days earlier. And, you know, Chico and I had a really, really grueling match that was back and forth, and he dominated position. And then, and then, you know, I got fortunate at the end, and the little guy came out on top that one time. But with Kenneth Brown, you know, I never felt like I could have gotten ahead. It was one of those mutual things where, you know, he's respecting my half guard, I'm respecting his half guard. And then, you know, I try a triangle, and he just kind of like, eh. And the triangle's gone, and now he's on top, and then he's on the back, and then I'm getting armbarred. And it's like, oh, man, Kenneth Brown, you're you're so good. <laughs> he's really good. You're and so like, good. We only have a couple minutes left, so I want to make sure I get my last shout-out sure. in, which is like, there was a war between Taylor Saucer from Gustavo Machado and Iman Bobesi from <sighs> Team Rock Fayetteville. Those ladies. Those ladies went at it, and it was amazing. Incredible technique, wow. incredible pl- pace, incredible toughness. Want to shout-out that Team Gustavo Machado performed exceptionally well. We already talked about uh, Jay Ivanovich. We talked about Greg Walker. Um, Taylor just, uh, I mean, weathered, you're talking about weathering a storm. Iman was on top from much of that match really pursuing the pass aggressively taylor's guard game and recovery was incredible she ends up finishing uh finishing him on with a really slick guard series and uh and uh, i with uh, the, I, I think she, it was it was an arm bar from the triangle position Correct. yeah and and just uh, like I, I was so impressed by that back and forth match by the toughness and the technique and the tenacity of those two women and so so definitely wanted to shout them out uh, in closing, I will say this. There were a lot of matches that did go to OT. And uh, not not a lot, but a decent amount. And it's incredible when you look at who did well in that first regulation period and how sometimes just the overtime itself can mentally get to a competitor. And boom, there's a dynamic change in who's the aggressor and doing well. So we saw a lot of that yesterday. Where somebody, and I'm not going to go through the whole list of names because we're, we're low on time, but there were a lot of times where, man, the first 8, 10, 15 minutes, whatever, someone was in charge, dictating the tempo and the pace and driving everything. Then you separate for that you know, 30 seconds, fix the gi or whatever, and then go back at it, and then boom, that other person shows up for the match. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was an incredible thing. You got to come to Toro Cup to see these things live. Most definitely. And, like, unfortunately, you know, we had 22 matches, which is great for the fans, but unfortunately we can't talk about every match. If you want to see some of the matches we did talk about, some of the matches we didn't talk about, you can go to our Facebook page, Cage Side Radio, or I'm going to have a blog post recapping where I'll embed the videos that we have, and that will be at DirtyWhiteBelt.com on the blog there. So, Dave, I really appreciate congr- Congratulations on your win against an amazing opponent. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm so glad you are able to come in and break it down with me. Do you have any final thoughts uh, for the listeners or anything that I didn't ask about that you wish I would have in just the few minutes we have left? Nope. I'm just going to say that if you really want to see certain matchups, you got to hit up John Bagels Telford for the May 13th match. Even if you're not going to compete, throw some names in a hat and say, hey, we've always wanted as spectators to see blank and blank. Make it happen, guys.
Most definitely, most definitely. And so, folks, that's our show for the day. Toro Cup 6, the best one yet. The next awesome. one is May 13th. They will crack $10,000 in donations for various charities. Uh, please come out and support. Thank you to everyone who is there. Uh, I want to thank my guest, Dave Porter. Once again, Pedro Sauer, Black Belt, Victor at Toro Cup yesterday, gentleman, scholar, pizza-eating aficionado. Mm -hmm. I hope I will see a lot of you next weekend because, once again, the Dominica Oblanicha Seminar, Friday night at Elevate MMA Women Only, Saturday at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu in Durham, North Carolina. Um, come train with the best in the world. Come uh, support the local scene and help us putting on these great events. And once again, thank you all for listening. This is Dirty White Belt Radio on WHUP-FM in Hillsborough, North Carolina. My name is Jeff Shaw. My guest has been David Porter, and we will see you next Sunday. I want to talk to you guys about Cageside Fight Company for a second. I've been buying from Cageside for more than six years, and about 99% of the gear that I use is from Cageside. That's not because other companies don't make good stuff. They do. It's just that Cageside offers the highest quality products at the best value and, no joke, the best customer service I've ever experienced in my life. So whether you're looking for shin pads, whether you're looking for Thai gear, whether you're looking for Brazilian jiu-jitsu gis or Valetudo shorts, whether you're looking for the coolest t-shirts around, check out Cageside.com or come into their fight shop at one Lotta Road, right in Durham, North Carolina. You won't be sorry. Another thing I want to mention about Cageside is they do more to support local fighters and local Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors than just about anybody else. And so we've got to support the people that support us. Check out Cageside Fight Company, 124 Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at cageside.com.